0: People always want to know what it's like to be me. How does it feel to see a dead body? Tell a family their loved one has been murdered. Talk to a rape victim, catch a killer, and get them to confess. Hold on tight, my friends. Get ready for the journey, and welcome to Murder with Menina. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Murder with Menina. Colleen, how are you? at Heat Wave in California.
1: <laughs> well, I am relieved because I uh did a favor for a friend and I'm dog sitting house sitting and it ended up to be a huge blessing because they have air conditioning. Oh, that's nice. So, it's great. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah well, good worked out. All right. Well. All right. Well, uh today we're going to talk about I can't even believe we're going to talk about this. Oh my god. Oh my god, 22 years ago. Uh pro- well, yeah, probably about 20 A little over 20 years ago. So, I'm a uh, domestic violence detective and i've put in an application to become a homicide detective and i went through the interview and all of that stuff and it was you know a fairly lengthy interview and i think i was put on a list and i was up next to go whenever there was an opening up in the homicide i was i was next to go and so they called me up and said hey we have an opening for you and i'm like oh great you know and i was still pretty young because i'd only been on the street five years maybe in domestic violence a year and to be that young to go up there was intimidating to say the least. And there was one other female up there and she was a supervisor. So I get the call to go up there. And it's one of those things where you think you really want it and then you get it and you're like, whoa, I was a little nervous, you know, a little scared. But anyway, so I get up there and I'm working the late shift. And for a while, probably about the first month, you just kind of shadowed detectives. And that's what I did. We shadow them around, they'd get calls, I'd go out, I'd try to learn. and then And then during the downtime, I would look at old homicide cases and there's just files and files and you just kind of look and see how you actually make a homicide file and how you label everything and you've got to make two copies so that you have one um and then there's one that's in the de- in the office you know for 20 years later if the case isn't solved and all that stuff so I'm just kind of learning everything and then before you know it it's bam and I'm up you know there's no more shattering detectives I'm going to be up for the next homicide and I'll never forget I was uh, with my mom and, and it was wintertime. And I said, we got to go, I got to go get like a trench coat looking thing so that I can play the part pretty well. And, and we did, we went to Burlington Coat Factory and we bought this really <laughs> cool, long black coat and, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So, uh, but anyway, so you don't get in the the office until about nine thirty at night for, for late shifts. So I get in there and it's, it's February. And it's one of those deals where you kind of have to dress warmly in case you get an outside scene. And then, of course, you're burning up if you get an inside scene. So you don't really know what the hell to do. But um, I hate being cold. So I always dress. So I'm in my long underwear and trench coat. And I'm the only one in the office. It's a Sunday night. And no one told me that you could kind of not really come in the office. If you had your police radio with you, you could kind of be wherever you wanted to be. So everyone else was at home. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm up in the homicide. And you, the newbie, sitting at your desk waiting. Right. And I am, yeah, absolutely. Just picture that. But burning my ass up. I'm so hot. So anyway, the radio chirps, and uh, they hit for homicide. And they said that uh, a 911 call came in that a woman had possibly hit somebody. And that was it. So I just remember kind of popping up and looking around. There anybody there. And they're literally going into the bathroom and throwing up. I was that nervous because how I just pictured it would be like when I got up into the office and how the desks would look was, was actually how it was. Like, it was cool. It looked like TV. It looked like, you know, the war room. It just looked like a lot of shit, a lot of men, (laughs) Um, just like the TV shows. But so I I stopped by the, the bathroom to pee because they always said, make sure you go to the bathroom because you're out on these scenes forever and then I did a little throwing up because I was so nervous. So <laughs> I get there and it's not very far from downtown. I get there and it's just it's in a park, but it's dark. So it's probably like I think it was like around maybe 11:30 or 12. And when I arrived there, you know, the the I'm I'm trying to do everything by the book and you're first, you're supposed to find the reporting officer, which is the first officer on the scene. And there's only a couple officers there because it's freezing it's so fucking cold it's february in indianapolis it's so cold <laughs> so i get there and it's just a big park and i could see a car that's just in the middle of this field and so i get out of the car and it's just a brutal wind and you're just like ugh. and so i walk up to the reporting officer and he's brand new too he looks like he's about 12. i look like i'm 14 maybe and we're just trying to figure this out and he says there's a body underneath the car i'm like come again he's like yeah there's a body underneath the car and I was like, okay, well, there's snow in this park. So as I walk up closer, I can kind of see some track marks from the, from the car. Um, as I get up closer to the car, I can see like a hair weave um, from somebody's hair. I can see a boom box. That's how old this is. There's literally like a boom box. And then there's beer, beer bottles and stuff all over. And then in the back of the car, there's legs sticking out from the back of the car. And it's this piece of shit car. It's a Pinto. You guys know what those are. Um, And literally, I
1: had one I can attest piece of shit. Yeah. And the
0: legs are sticking out from the bottom of the pinto and the side door was being shut and and closed with a um, hanger. And so I look at it. And of course, you know, I think this looks exactly like the Wizard of Oz. When the house fell on the witch, it's exactly what it looks like. And I'm kind of looking at this officer like, I don't really know what to do. But let's, I guess, get the tow truck off this guy. So the tow truck gets there and there's not a huge scene, but I call for crime lab and they're coming out and they're doing their thing. And the tow truck gets there and it picks the car up, but the body kind of goes with it because of the clothing and things that's stuck. And then all of a sudden you see the body drop and it's just like this thump. So then I kind of get to get to view um, the victim and I can tell that the victim's a little bit older and literally you could tell that the tire was spinning on the side of his head, because part of his head was literally, um, what's the word, like, indented, uh, I don't know, indented, Uh, yes, thank you, indented, uh, Uh, and it smelled kind of, yeah, and it smelled kind of awful, so call for corner and all that stuff, and we're not at the scene very long, and of course, I, I try to find out who the 911 caller is, because they're the ones that called, it was a female, and I said, well, where did that 911 call come, and it was only about a mile away. So we get done with the scene and I'm doing pretty good. I'm like, okay, this isn't a horrible scene. And maybe I have a suspect since she's the one that called 911. <laughs> so we go I go there and things are going well. Um, I go there and I pull up to the front of the house and I'll and I'll never forget there was an older couple older couple sitting on the on the um front near the front door, and I'm like, why are they sitting outside? It is so cold. It's so cold outside. So I kind of walk up in my trench coat. And I remember uh, the older gentleman going detective and I'm like, yes. And he goes, she's inside. And I'm like, okay. So I walk inside and there's a a young African American uh, female. She looks to be about 19 or 20 sitting on the couch and she's got part of her hair is gone, which I remember seeing at the scene. Her face is all scraped up. She's kind of got some dirt. There's dirt on her clothing. I mean, she's just sitting on the couch and she's crying and she's holding a little baby. And I just walk up to her and I say, you know, this is Detective Menina. I need to take you with me downtown because we have to talk about what happened tonight. And she's like, okay. And she hands the baby uh, to the woman who I assume was her mother at the time. And I kind of look back at the parents and they don't say anything to me. So I get her in the car and I'm really like, whoa, like I'm nervous. I'm kind of like, this is kind of weird how this is going down. And we don't say anything in the car. And it's about a 15 minute drive downtown. And I get her into uh the off or in the office in the interview room and I don't put cuffs on her. I'm not threatened by her. She looks like a little child to me. So we get into the interview room and I start asking her questions. And of course I'm a randizer. And she, you know, agrees to give me a statement, a statement without a lawyer present. And so I start asking her about what happened in, in the night. And this is my first interview with a with a, with a homicide suspect. This is my very first one. I'm doing it by myself. My partners are there and they're kind of observing and watching and kind of helping me out. But I go in there and I sit right next to her and we just kind of have a conversation. And I said, kind of, what happened? What happened today? Um, And it was in that first time that the line that I use always all the way from the very first homicide to the very last one was, you know, I doubt you woke up this morning thinking you were going to run over anybody or kill anybody. How did we get here? And so she tells me, she says that she's at home that day. Her dad uh, was home and this co-worker of her dad's, which turns out to be the victim, who I knew was older and learned that he was in his 60s. Now, mind you, she's like 19 or 20. And so he's friends with the victim was friends with the dad. And the victim had come by earlier in the day and he had been talking to her and really wanted to take her out. And dad was like, "You ain't taking my daughter out. And he's telling, you know, uh, my suspect, you're not going out with him. Well, they end up going out and he gave her three hundred dollars that day to go to the mall to get a new outfit for for that night. And $300 is a lot of money. It definitely was a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money now. And so she calls her, and she's just telling me this, like we are friends, just literally telling me. I don't even have to ask a lot of questions. So she says she calls up her best friend, and she says, I got $300. Let's go get some clothes. You know, we're going to go out tonight. Great. So they go to the mall, and they get some clothes. And um, they come back, and they get ready. and. He picks them up and they go to this club and the night is going fine or whatever. And inside the club though, there's drinking of course. And this is kind of an after hours club in a kind of shady part of town, not very far from where the victim ended up. And it's an after hours thing. So they had been partying pretty much all night. Now the friends there with her and they're in the bar and she's not paying any attention to the victim, right? He's buying her drinks all night. They're drinking. She's not paying attention to him. He gets mad. He approaches her inside the club And there's an argument and her friend and her like, let's just go because they're starting to argue. And there's video. You can see video of when they're leaving and they're kind of tussling a little bit, not really punching, but they're tussling. And you kind of see him get in the vehicle and he gets in the driver's seat. Um, My suspect gets in the passenger seat and then the friend gets in the back seat in a pinto. I mean, there's crammed in there. And of course, they're shutting the door with the wire hanger. So they get into an argument or whatever and they end up in this park. And there's words going back and forth. And at one point they get out, obviously, because the scene tells me that they get out. Her hair weaves there. The beer bottles are there. The boombox, And they're fighting. Now, the front never gets out of the back seat. Eventually, they get back in there. And at some point, he puts his hand up her dress in the middle of this altercation back in the car. And that's when she says, she goes, I just lost my mind. Like, I lost my mind. He put his hand up my dress. And I felt so disrespected that she said she kind of went to another place. So they end up getting back out and she's punching him back and forth, punching him. And at one point she then gets back in the driver's seat and she's chasing him around. And that's where I saw the tire tracks. Like you could see that the car was chasing him. And then eventually she runs over him. And she said she heard a thump and she was trying to back up. And then that explains, you know, it was stuck obviously. And that kind of explains, um, you know, the indent to his head. And that's it. And I said, Well, what what did you guys do afterwards? And she said, Well, we couldn't get the car off of him. So we ran home. And that's literally the end of the story. And I'm kind of looking around like, what the what the what? Like, what? She just confessed to the whole thing. It was like she just, it's like we were sitting there and she's just telling me how her day went. She didn't really have a lot of emotions. She just, and I'm kind of sitting there going, There's got to be more to this. Like there has to be more. This isn't going to be this simple, right? So I'm trying to go back and get a little bit more specifics and trying to get in her head. And there's a part of me that's trying to almost try to make it better for her, even though I don't have any experience in this shit yet. But I kind of feel a little bit off in this. And so the interview's done and I go out. And the guys are like, oh, good job. Good job. She confessed to it. You know, and I'm not feeling that excited. And I'm getting the paperwork and then asking them exactly what it is that I need. And we go back in there and I'm filling out the arrest slip and um, I'm charging her with murder. And I stand her up and I said, and, then, and I had not handcuffed her at all. And I stand her up and I say, you know, put your put your hands behind your back. And she kind of looks at me like, what? And I said, well, I gotta, I've got to I've got to arrest you. He died. I said, you ran over him. And she looked at me like I had four heads. She did not comprehend that the whole magnitude of her entire life is changing in this moment. She didn't know. And instead of being like, are you kidding me? Like you just ran them over. I kind of just took a step back and was like, wow, she doesn't really know. Like she didn't even know like what she was saying. She didn't even realize I don't think that she was confessing to this crime. She didn't. And I look at her and I said, yeah, you know, I have to, I have to do my job. And the person died. And, you know, you told me that you told me the altercation. But, you know, you had a chance to kind of drive away like you didn't have to chase him, you know, and and you chose to do that. And and she looks at me and she starts to cry. And we walk her down like this long hallway to put her in the paddy wagon. And she kind of looks at me and I look at her and then the door shut. And I know the whole entire course of her life has changed. In that moment, though, I didn't realize kind of the whole course of my life was going to change and how I was going to go about doing my investigations. And, and it was part of me when I was walking back, and, I, and I've said this before, I didn't like that she didn't look so killerish. I invented that word, killerish, because she was not a killer. I mean, she just wasn't a killer. What I wanted a killer to look like when I knew that I was changing the course of their lives. So, you know, we go through it, and, and, and I'm doing all the paperwork that I need to do, and I just never really felt great about it. So I go in. What we do is when we charge somebody, um, we have to present the case to the prosecutor. So the very next day, you know, I go to the autopsy, and the autopsy, he obviously died of blood force trauma, and there's trauma to his chest, and there's obviously trauma to his head. And, I mean, there's no doubt that he was run over by a car. So, I go to the autopsy and then I go to the prosecutor's office. And this is the first time I'm in the prosecutor's office talking about a homicide case. And I'm trying to have all my ducks in the row. And there are so many ducks that go into a homicide investigation investigation. It's freaking unbelievable the amount of ducks that go into even an easy one, even one where you have all the evidence there. You know exactly who did it. You're making the arrest. There's absolutely no chance in hell that you're not going to win this in court. There's so many ducks to go and and things that I have to turn in for crime lab and requests and all those things. So I'm sitting at the prosecutor uh, and and telling her the case because they're not out on the scene. So I have to go present it and I'm pretty much just kind of going through exactly the way that I'm talking to you. And I look at her and I go, I just don't feel comfortable. Um, arresting her for murder and this prosecutor looks at me like are you fucking kidding me right now you're 12 this is your first homicide you're not going to tell me what to charge (laughs) and this is the charging prosecutor this isn't the one that actually will take the 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 case all the way to court so whatever I shut up and I'm like you're right I don't even know what I'm doing you're right right so later on so she charges her with murder and then later on it gets assigned to another detective or another prosecutor that's actually going to see the case through the court so I meet with her and I actually know her. We've got some friends in common. And I go in there and I say, look, I know that you have a job to do and I have a job to do, but I don't feel great about this. And, and I'm telling her and she's like, honey, you're going to have to get yourself a thicker skin <laughs> if you're going to do this job, <laughs> because there is, you know, she did chase him around the car. And I said, I know. I said, but I spent some time with her and I just learned about the story. And she said, well, this is what we'll do. We'll charge her with murder, but we'll also give the jury an opportunity to, uh, we'll do lessers. We'll, we'll, we'll throw in voluntary manslaughter because we can kind of show, you know, or she did kind of show that at that point in time, when he put his hand up her dress, that she lost her shit in that second. And she, you know, she did something in that second that wouldn't necessarily have done if that part of the case hadn't happened. So I said, that's fair, right? We'll let the jury decide. So later on, we go to court. Of course, she doesn't have a pot to piss in, right? She doesn't. She's not able to get an attorney. She's stuck with a public defender, and the case that they present isn't great, right? They don't really present a case because there's really not a case to present. But they do the best they can. And long story short, they 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 do convict her of voluntary manslaughter, okay? And they give her forty years. And again, forty she's, years. She's, oh, yeah, my God. yeah. And again, she's at the she's at the at the defense table. She doesn't get on and testify. She lo- she still looks really young. I've got her parents in the courtroom. And of course, I've got the victim's mother who's in the courtroom, who I had to tell after I went to the autopsy that her son was killed. You know, And that was an interesting thing because it was Sunday and she was getting ready for church and I go into her home and she's cooking breakfast. I can smell bacon. I just remember it. And I'm sitting on her couch and she's got all of these little figurines and, in her living room. And she's quite elderly, and she starts to cry. And she looks at me and she's like, He lived with me. I told him to stop messing around with these young girls. That they these young girls were gonna get him in trouble. And I said, Yeah, and I, I tried to sugarcoat kind of the injuries and, and things and and I told her, and she doesn't have anybody, like she's there alone. And I remember walking out and she said, Detective. And I said and I turn around and she goes, Who's gonna take care of me? And I'm like, oh my God, like I cannot handle wow. this fucking case. So she shows up in the courtroom, right? And she's, of course, we've got the picture blown up of the scene where the car's literally on top and she's kind of covering her, hat, her, her face. And so it's just like this whole case was just like, uh, so she gets 40 years, right? And I'm going on with my life. And luckily, I guess, luckily, I don't know for mental health, maybe luckily I'm dealing with more cases and more cases of really bad people. And I'm really excited to arrest them and put them away forever. Few years into it, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years. I get an email from her from prison and we start developing a relationship. And she, she says, Hey, I got my high school. I got my GED. I'm starting to take some college courses. Um, you know what's how, you thank you for treating me so well during it I take full responsibility just like this and and you can tell she's matured just based on the emails and it's so crazy in in prison because like you have to I have to buy a stamp in order to send an email like it's such a money money hungry thing, and I'm putting some money on her books and you know getting her some stuff um, here and there. And we're kind of developing a relationship. And I go and I visit her and she's like, oh, my God, what is that? And I'm like, it's an iPhone. And she's like, oh, my God. Wow. You know, and, and she's wow. she, right. And I go and she tells me that she's having a little trouble. She got into one fight, you know, while she was in prison, but she's doing OK. And I said, you know, that's great. And uh, so then it goes a little bit time. It's like sporadic, you know, when we're talking. And then all of a sudden she sends me an email and asks me if I will take her daughter, who's now 15. So she's been in there 15 years to her job interview, her first job interview. And I'm like, oh, my God. Obviously, the little girl that she was holding the night that I talked to her the night that I met her. Right. And I'm like, I absolutely will take your daughter to her first interview. Like, wow. And so thank you. Like, thank you for asking me. I absolutely will. Because at this time she has been raised by her grandmother that I met that night as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but grandma was at work. So I'm driving over there and all of a sudden I kind of get a little pit in my stomach and I'm like, holy shit. Like, this is going to be so weird. <laughs> like, right. A <laughs> little bit. And I'm like, I am like, I'm uh, all of a sudden I'm nervous and I see her pop out. She's super pleasant. She's got a smile on her face. I roll up in my police car. She jumps in like, you know, hi. And I'm like, hi, <laughs> you know, and and I don't even know what to say. Like, how has your life been? Like, I don't even, and I don't know if she's like, connecting that i'm the one that locked her mother up like uh so we're driving to the interview and i was like you know just keep good eye contact with the manager and you know do your best in the interview do to do, do you know And we get her there and she jumps she she jumps out of the car and i said i'll wait for you you know good luck or whatever and i don't know 10 or 15 minutes later she runs back in my car and she says i got the job and i'm like that's fantastic you know and and uh, she's telling me that her mother's going to call her that night and, and all this stuff. So talk about full circle, right? Like crazy, crazy. full circle. So I'm feeling a little bit better about um, how bad I felt about locking her up, her mother up. But and then here we are just in um, May. Marjorie, my my suspect, gets, got out. She's out. She is absolutely out. And I don't know where she is. I'm going to kind of give her a little bit of time to contact me. I mean, my cell number is the same. My email is the same. But she got out in May. She did her 20 years. But she got um, but she was
1: sentenced to 40. So was it 20 on good behavior? How does that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, that's how that works. You get locked up for 40, you do 20. And she did her 20. And she got out in May. And it's crazy to me that she's kind of out wandering around in Indianapolis. And I really hope that she reaches out. I really do hope she reaches out. Um, just to see, you know, how she's doing and if there's anything that I can do, um, to try to assist her. Cause of course, you know, as I teach my, my kids every day in school, you know, she's going to, that's going to follow her, you know, that felony mm-hmm. conviction. And if they ask her, you know, what, what, her criminal history, of course, that's going to influence the rest of her life. But talk about a full circle moment and how blessed I was to meet Marjorie, you know, obviously horrible what happened to the victim. But I think she really did help me kind of keep in perspective. And I, and I think I had a pretty good idea, you know, but not to the degree that I learned being in a homicide detective of, of like I sit, preach and say all the time, the story behind the story and, and what in the in the changes that people go through and, and just that whole full circle of being involved in such a horrible night to taking our daughter to you know, her first job interview and then the, where she is now. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time that's the best part of the job, but holy shit, a baby detective trying to figure this out. And I just wanted to say thank you for making it so easy. Like, thank you for confessing. Like, you, <laughs> she was like, thank you so much for treating me so well. And I'm like, thank you so much for making this so easy and making me look good. I got my first dot because you get a dot on the board. So, a homicide board in our homicide offices they put a little, they put the name of the victim up there and they put the date and the address. And then if you make an arrest, you get a dot by that name. So when people go up and look at the homicide board, of course you want a dot, um, by your name. And so I got my first dot with her. Um, but she taught me a lot, really, you know, she taught me a lot and taught about, wow, I thought, oh, I'm going to lock somebody up for murder. And I thought I'd feel a little better and pat myself on the back. And I'd been waiting for my first case and, you know, and that's not how I felt at all. At all, and unfortunately, a lot of those cases. There's a few where I was like, "Oh hell yeah, this mf'er needs to go and go away forever." But there were a lot where it's just like, "Oh man," you know, alcohol played a role that night, bad decisions, her history, you know, what her what experiences that she had, and just the ultimate disrespect that she felt when he put his hand up her skirt, Mm -hmm. um, just flipped it for her. You know, and I always say there's a thin, thin line between the people who kill and the people who don't. Well, isn't it like, I I remember um, a long
1: time ago, I interviewed Judge um, Mills Lane, and he was talking about the death penalty. And he was talking about um, sex offenders should have the death penalty because they're not, they don't Rehab doesn't happen for them, and like certain crimes, and this right. and that. But then he said, Crimes of passion should not right. have the death penalty. He said, right. Should not, right. because these are not killers. These are not people w- yep. who will kill again. They snapped. And it sounds to me right. like with Marjorie, even though she wasn't passionate about him it it was similar to that it was she snapped yeah. it was a crime of passion she was she's not a killer she's not a she's not right. a danger to society
0: right right yeah and she'll she'll become productive she became productive in prison and and i was really kind of quite proud of the jury too of of looking at the case and, and the way that the prosecutor presented it, because by the time we went to court, I had the prosecutor kind of on my side a little bit. And then when you saw her, you know, uh, you saw Marjorie sitting in the courtroom and you kind of learned about the public defender she had. And, you know, you're just kind of like, OK, you know. And so the way she presented it was, you know, we needed to get the win. I mean, she did kill another human being, no doubt about it. I mean, she needed to pay the price. But, the you know, the question is, what what price? What price? So the jury agreed that uh, she didn't need to get 65. She needed to get 40. So um, she's out and she's what? She's 40 some years old. So she's got, you know, a good portion of her life. And uh, I wish her nothing but the best. And and hopefully her daughter's doing well and hopefully she'll reach out. Yes. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Uh, Tell your friends and family, pass our podcast along. Leave us a review. Thanks again for all the positive reviews. I'm starting to get emails of cases to look into. Stay tuned, too, guys, because we're going to have uh, my favorite nine one one control operator um, on coming up soon, and she's fantastic in the dynamic world of, of what the nine one one and control operators do uh, for law enforcement on a day to on a day to day basis. So, thanks again, everyone. We will see you next time on Murder with Manina.
1: If you have a cold case you'd like Chris to review, submit it through our website at murderwithmenina.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder with Menina and Twitter at Murder w. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Murder with Menina.